Book One, Chapter Ten of the Sworn Brothers, A Tale of the Early Days of Iceland by Gunnar Gunnarsson, translation by Claude Field and W. M. A. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Rita Boutros. There came a beggar to the house. An old bent man, clothed in dirty rags and torn leather, entered the hall one evening and took a place by the fire on the outermost bench. There he sat and warmed his crooked fingers that were blue with cold, and meanwhile squinted about him with pale, cunning eyes. As he sat there, his yellow beard, in which a quantity of nondescript rubbish had been caught, hung down between his legs. His gray hair lay in tatters over his back, but his powerful eyebrows were the most marked feature in his face. Gray and bushy, they almost concealed his eyes when they were lowered, and he had a habit sometimes of drawing them both up together and slightly lifting one at a time, which gave his face a strangely mobile, almost animal expression. He was questioned regarding news from the north, but had little information to give, as soon as it was evident that he had nothing important to communicate, he was allowed to sit in peace and warm himself. It seemed as if he valued being left to himself. When he had sat for a while and warmed his hands, he loosed the rags from off his legs and stretched his feet to the fire. They were a marvel of knotted bones and dirt. He looked exhausted. Some remains of the evening meal were brought him. He received the food with a grunt, set it upon his knee, and began eating. With eager hands he first sought the best bits, and, groping about in the food, turned the contents of the dish round, chewing with his whole head. He certainly could eat. Ingolf and Leif had sought a place near him, and sat looking attentively at him. "'I think he can hold as much in his maw as a cow,' whispered Leif, absorbed in looking at him and he mumbles just like a cow chewing the cud. Ha, ha! What an old swine he is! The beggar emptied the dish so that only bare bones remained. Then he gulped comfortably and relieved himself of air. Subsequently he fell into a cosy nap while he digested. Thus he sat for some time, apparently sound asleep. But suddenly he raised his eyebrows both together and peered round him with wide-open pale eyes. Ingolf and Leif had come near to him, and were contemplating him closely, one his legs and the other his face. They had seldom seen anything like him. He was certainly a remarkable object, both above and below. He sat for a time and looked at them without saying anything, looked from one to the other, contemplated them closely, and gave himself plenty of time. "'Point and sword,' he said at last, in a deep bass tone. "'When the point breaks, exploits are over. But you sit where you should.' He turned suddenly to Ingolf and thrust his face with his wide-opened eyes close to his. Then he drew his head back, murmuring in a deep tone as though at his own thoughts. The boys believed at first that he talked in delirium. They sat still and only stared at him, Leif with his mouth half open. A curious creature, he thought, and felt internally much amused. The old man remained still for some time, looking closely and a little cunningly from one to the other. Their staring did not seem to affect him. 
"'Shall I tell you something?' he asked at last, growling and winking meaningly with his pale eyes. "'Shall I tell you about the new land?' He turned his face with his eyebrows elevated, questioning, and turning abruptly from one to the other. In the face of such a direct application from this queer figure, the boys became at first a little embarrassed. They looked at each other and remained sitting with bowed heads and fumbling fingers. "'Well, if you don't choose to hear it, I don't choose to tell you,' growled the old grumbler, shook himself, let his eyebrows sink, and withdrew into himself. The boys lifted their heads, looked at him and at each other, and suddenly became curious. Ingolf nodded to Leif to commence, and Leif blurted out, "'Let us hear, old man!' The beggar slowly lifted his eyebrows, but not in order to look at them. It seemed as if he had forgotten them, and did not hear what Leif said. He sat staring in front of him into the fire, with an absent look in his old, strangely bleached eyes. "'Yes, yes,' he said at last, as if half unwillingly. "'Anyhow, it is all the same to me. Why should I tell you about it? No one escapes his destiny.' With a loud and luxurious yawn, he showed them an enormous throat behind his yellow teeth. Then he closed his chaps and remained sitting silent for a time. It seemed as though he were considering whether he wanted to open his mouth at all again that evening.' Leif found this tedious, and summoned up his courage. "'It was about the new land you were going to tell us,' he said persuasively. And when the old man did not hear him, he added inquiringly, in order, if possible, to rouse him out of his silent reverie, "'Has a new land been discovered?' "'Don't you know that?' asked the old man hastily. "'Don't you even know that?' he repeated incredulously. The boys shook their heads negatively. "'Then it is not too early you come to know that, if one told you. "'So you do not even know that. "'Ah, old Norns, how you can spin! "'You look after the loom without wavering, "'even when the motley yarn is blood-colored. "'Perhaps the one who sees should be silent. "'No, some time you will have to know it. "'Have you never heard of the new land?' "'After a repeated shake of the head on the part of the two boys, he continued.' One late summer, some years back, Nadad the Viking intended to sail from Norway to the Faroe Islands, but the gods granted him no good wind, either because he had neglected to sacrifice, or, in some other way, incurred the displeasure of Odin and Niord. They sent him a storm, and drove him so far westward that at last he believed he was near Genungagab, where the seas poured down into Helheim. But instead of this he came to a great land. He ascended a high mountain to see if he could find a sign that the land was inhabited. But no smoke was to be seen anywhere, nor any sign of folk did he find. When he sailed from the country again, much snow had fallen on the mountains. Therefore he called the country Snowland. He and his people said that it was a good land, so some years passed without anything more being heard of the new country. There was a Swede named Gardar Svavarsen, who had possessions in Denmark, who sailed from Sealand to fetch his wife's inheritance in the south. When he had sailed through Petland's Fjord, he encountered a storm and went adrift. So he drifted to the west and came to the new land. 
he sailed farther along its coasts and discovered that it was an island he built a house by a bay which he called Husevik and wintered there when he sailed from the land the next spring the wind tore a boat which he had in tow loose in the boat was a serf named natfer and a serf woman perhaps they managed to effect a landing and settled in the place gardar praised the country much he reported that it was wooded from the heath to the sea and had luxuriant pastures he gave it the name gardarsholm it retained the name between man and man until Flok Vilgertsen had been there. Flok, who was a powerful Viking, equipped a ship in Rogaland to seek Gardalsholm. He loaded his ship in Smorzund. Before he sailed, he arranged a sacrificial feast at which he sacrificed and conjured magic powers into three ravens. Therefore he has since been called Raven Flok, a sea-mark was raised where the feast had taken place, and was called Floke's Sea-mark. It stood on the border between Hordeland and Rogaland. First Raven Floke sailed to Hiatland, and cast anchor in a bay which was named Floke's Bay. At Hiatland his daughter, Gerhild, was drowned in a lake, since called Gerhild's Lake. From Hjotland he sailed to the Faroe Islands, where he gave one of his daughters in marriage. Thence he put out to sea, taking the three ravens with him. When he had sailed for a day and a night, he let the first raven loose. It flew astern, and disappeared in the direction from which they had come. Then he sailed for a day and a night more, and let the second raven loose. It flew aloft, and returned to the ship. Again he sailed a day and a night, and let the third raven go. It flew forward and did not return. When they sailed farther in the direction in which it had disappeared, they found the land they sought. Floke had on board a man named Fax. When they came to a broad fjord, Fax spoke and said, This is certainly a great land we have found. Here are mighty rivers. Therefore the fjord was named Faxmouth. Raven Floke did not sail into the fjord. He sailed past a headland with a mighty snow-covered mountain on it, and across a broad bay with many islands and skerries. He landed at a fjord on the north side of the bay, which he called Vanfjord, and the coastline he called Bardestrand. The fjord was full of fish. They were so absorbed in catching the quantities of fish that they forgot to procure hay. Therefore the sheep and cattle they had brought with them died in the winter from want of fodder. The spring was fairly cold. Floke ascended a high mountain one day in spring, and saw north of it a fjord packed full with sea ice. Therefore he christened the land and named it Iceland. He meant to have sailed away that summer, but before they were ready to sail it was autumn, and the weather became stormy. Floke had on his ship two peasants, Thorolf and Herjolf. When they were at the last ready to sail, the storm tore away a boat from them, and in the boat sat Herjolf. Herjolf landed at a place to which he gave his name, and called it Herjolf's Haven. 
raven floke who did not wish to sail without herjolf put back to land and brought his ship uninjured into a fjord which he called havnefjord at a river's mouth in the fjord they found a whale driven on shore herjolf had also scented the whale and there they met they called the river's mouth valar they sailed thence and wintered in a fjord on which raven floke who had had enough of the land did not choose to lavish a name when on their arrival home they were asked about the new land floke had only evil to report herjolf on the other hand praised it moderately mentioning its advantages and did not conceal its defects but thorolf declared that butter dripped from every straw in the land therefore he was afterwards called butter thorolf and i have no more to tell you about the new land concluded the beggar rather suddenly and shook himself uncomfortably you can yourselves go and see it when he stopped speaking ingolf and leif sat for a time and stared at him why should we do that asked ingolf at last we have no mind to change our abode the old man returned no answer leif sat thoughtful when he spoke at last his voice was muffled and seemed far away it would be amusing to see that land for once you will see it growled the old man and there was a peculiar malicious exultation in his harsh voice you will have time enough to see it i think suddenly life came into him afresh and his voice became sharp and obtrusive get me a jug of beer and i will tell you much more i will show you a piece of the norn's web ho oh, ho a charming piece they have twisted threads that you can never guess bring me beer and you shall hear something ingolf felt overcome by a strange and unusual bodily depression and rose hastily his spirits were suddenly upset and he felt almost ill beer you shall have he answered curtly and coldly but now i think we have heard enough for the evening come leif leif rose a little unwillingly it was possible that the old man had more information to give about the new land why not hear him to the end even if he did talk some nonsense between whiles but as ingolf did not wish it it was all the same to him he could himself speculate further about the island out there in the garden and go into the whole matter more closely with ingolf the beggar had a jug of beer brought which he emptied in small draughts in order to relish it better then he lay down by the fire curled himself into a bundle and slept he remained lying there for the night the next morning he wandered farther when leif sought him in order to question him more closely he had gone leif tried to talk with ingolf about the new land but ingolf was always occupied with something else when leif began to talk about iceland leif did not observe that ingolf with deliberate intention avoided the subject ingolf could not free himself from a certain anxiety that leif might become too interested in the new discovery which the beggar had reported to them it would be like leif suddenly to begin to make plans to go there perhaps migrate and settle there that must not happen for leif became unstable when he had conceived an idea especially if it were rather an unusual one no ingolf wished to remain in dalsfjord in his father's house 
he was strongly averse from everything which smacked of wandering and adventure by his prudent methods he soon brought leaf to forget the new land end of book one chapter ten